Mendonesia. Welcome to the Renewable Energy Hour. I'm Doug Livingston, co-host, and uh, and we were just talking. You know how this show's been on for I think something like 28 years continuously. Actually, no, we we took a break for a couple months in there somewhere, but uh, in all that time, in in nearly 30 years, we've only had six co-hosts. Um, and, uh, we, we had, uh, Steve Heckeroth and Michael Hackleman, Michael Hackleman and me, me and Jeff Oldham, me and Alex Aragon, and recently as guest co-host and hopefully willing to fill in, uh, cause you're both too damn busy, uh, Chris Love, but. For the first time in half a year or so, uh, my my co-host is Alex Aragon. Alex, how are you doing? Hey, Doug, I'm doing well. It's been uh, quite a quite a break to take from there, and it's about time I got back on. Um, so let's do this. Well, and hopefully, hopefully we can we can uh, keep you both by not asking you to come to every show. <laughs> yeah, that's a good way to do it. Definitely. Uh, definitely good to have someone to take the reins when i'm not available so yeah yeah and uh when neither of you are available occasionally i can hell i could do a listener call-in show by myself or have a guest by myself but i certainly can't do a topical show without a guest by myself that's bad radio i did that once it was horrible (laughs) i i just droned um just like doing lecture all the time. Right? Yes, yes, it was it was lecture with no interaction with the students, which I've never really done, and and it was horrible. Anyhow, um, this is the Renewable Energy Hour, and, and you know, one of my co-hosts, Jeff Oldham, insisted we at least do you know six or eight listener call-in shows uh, every year. Uh, where we don't have a topic and we open up the lines early on in the show, which is exactly what we're going to do. And uh, there were two things pointed out to me by a listener last year who, uh, A, was a little surprised that I never gave the call-in number, which I'm a little surprised I didn't do either. Uh, But uh, also... Given that information, I was also a little surprised that the phone board was lit up the whole time we had opened up the lines. So there were lots of people listening and knew the number, but for those of you who don't, it's 707-895-2448. And uh, if uh, you happen to get put on hold and are hearing and, and you're talking and nobody's responding to you, that's because you're on hold. Hang on. Don't hang up. I'll pick you up uh, after the previous caller is done. And uh, uh, 895-2448. What was the other thing I was going to say? There was something else there. Anyhow. uh, uh, I got that little bit of news I wanted to share. What's that? uh, Well... About Tesla chargers, there's been a uh, big development in uh, electric vehicle uh, charging 
you know, rules and laws and stuff like that, where uh, apparently there's been a $7.5 billion federal program uh, to expand the use of EVs and cut carbon emissions. It's going to include many Tesla chargers now being available to charge different brands of vehicles. Uh, Tesla's always been kind of the the apple of the of the uh, EV world, being they were all proprietary and only their equipment could only be used with their cars. Mm-hmm. But now they're going to allow uh, their chargers, many of their chargers, not all of them, uh, to be used for other brands. And uh, that's made it so that uh, so the Tesla is able to get a subsidy from the federal government, and they're nice. They're going to play uh, a little bit nicer now. It looks like. Uh, been lots of speculation about why uh, Tesla and the U.S. government haven't been, you know, hand in hand so much with uh, EV programs. But now they're getting they're getting more on the same page. Now, there are tax rebates available now uh, that they probably wouldn't have been eligible for if their charging stations were brand specific. Yeah. <clears throat> See, by late. 2024, Tesla would open 3,500 new and existing superchargers along highway corridors to non-Tesla customers. The Biden administration said it also uh, was offering 4,000 floor chargers at locations like hotels and restaurants. Okay. So I had heard earlier they have some like 18,000 chargers out there in the world right now, and they're going to make some of them able to charge other vehicles now. Well, that's awesome. I, I, I was just- I always thought that was really kind of weird because a lot of the uh, charger sites were uh, public lands where, you know, publicly owned mm-hmm. places. Mm-hmm. They dedicated spaces specifically for Tesla chargers. So it was government, you know, specifically basically giving, uh, you know, giving real estate over to a brand. Well, you got your libraries with your Macs and your Microsofts. Yeah, but that would be like them only having one yeah, version. Yeah, yeah. Well, they're the ones so now, who who gave it, who donated, who put up the money. But right. I, it still annoys the hell out of me. And Apple annoys me for how proprietary they were with all their specialized cables and everything. But speaking of tax credits, that was the other thing I was forgetting a moment ago. Was that was another thing a, a listener. Uh, pointed out since we had the the heat pump show last show um she was pointing out that hey there's some substantial rebates and tax credits available on heat pumps and uh you know it, it can be you know three grand or so from sonoma clean power alone and the feds have more coming online with the uh what did they call it? The Inflation Reduction Act, and it was mostly a Climate Impact Reduction Act. But um, anyhow, uh, uh, keep an eye on the status of rebates if you're thinking about converting over your heating cooling system to a heat pump. It doesn't have to be a ground source heat pump. It does have to be an efficient one in order to qualify for the rebate. Yeah, remember that uh, you're supposed to you're supposed to replace your hot water heater about every ten years or so, and if you don't, it's eventually going to fail. Uh, and when it fails, it means it starts leaking. And uh, so, imagine if you were you have an off grid house or something like that, and you go away and leave uh, your place, and your hot water heater starts leaking. Now, worst case scenario, you're going to start running your pump, 
because you know your pump has to make up for the water if you have a well or something like that. Or and you drain your gravity feed tanks. And it's going to feed into your hot water heater, which might be in a basement or a room somewhere. It's going to be dumping out on the floor. It could be flooding your basement. Uh, it's going to use up all your heat to heat that water that's also letting out. Uh, your electrical system is going to need the generator to start. Uh, so you could actually use up a whole a whole tank of propane or something if you didn't happen to be around uh, for the weekend or something like that when you're water well, heaters. Or if you didn't have an auto start propane or uh, auto start generator, you'd use up your battery <laughs> bank. Yeah. Well, either way, you're going to use up your tank and then use up your. Sorry about that. No, so it's possible to have a really bad situation, really expensive, just by your water heater failing. So, if you pay attention. Every 10 years, they're only warranted for 7 to 10 years, typically. Anyhow, remind listeners that it's not Doug and Alex chat hour, it's listener call-in hour. So if you've got any topic related to renewable energy that you want to call in on, like this caller does, give us a call. Hello, caller, you're live on the air. Hey, another great show. Hey, how are you? I'm doing fine, yeah. Just, uh, you brought up a couple of topics that, uh... Kind of rang my bell, and heat pumps is one of them. I think it's a way of conserving. Unfortunately, it doesn't produce electricity at a load, but it does help a little bit on the, on the grid. It it does tend to use power when the sun is not shining sometimes. But uh, all, all in all, I, I like it. I like zone heating, where the heat source is directly in a room, and you don't have to rely on super inefficient air ducting pumping warmish air back into back rooms where just a tremendous amount is lost if you think about it. Uh, even the greatest furnace in the world, if it doesn't have a good distribution system, <coughs> pardon me, uh, uh, it, it becomes very inefficient. And yeah. same goes with, of course, wood stoves. They're great because that is a zone heating, and of course it's, it's nature's battery, which I like a lot, and there's uh, natural and propane gas heaters, which uh, still use fossil fuels, uh, uh, you know, very dependent on the on the on the fossil grid, but it does produce heat directly in a room, and there's no loss from the transmission point pumping warmish, hottish air through the house. So I, I think that's a very important terms in, uh, in in terms of conservation, and these devices also give a real point of comfort because what, a lot of what we're doing when we heat is what we're looking for is human comfort so if you can back up to a heat source get warm and toasty in one room maybe the back room's a little cooler you're saving a lot of money a lot of a lot of money yeah yeah heat what you need to heat don't heat what you don't need to heat and that back room becomes a major r value of insulation between that front room and that back wall yeah, that's true, and, and a great place to put your time and effort and money. It's a, it's, a, it's a great investment to try to, if you have an old house, give it a energy tune-up. You know, stop those drafts and go to the hardware store and spend 50 or 100 bucks and come back and make your house more comfortable that same day. Hey, one of the things I've been wanting to talk about is conservation on a different topic. Uh, so hang up on me when I get to my... Uh, three <laughs> your three-minute limit... <laughs> What? Your three-minute limit? Uh, we don't have that official rule, but, yeah, but I think it's sort of assumed. So. And, and, and one thing that I... Uh, th there's a problem and a, a fantastic solution that's well used and well in place, and that is uh, the, the topic is uh, drinking water 
in plastic bottles versus other ways of having nice drinking water, not using plastic bottles. And this is a, 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 a both a problem and something. There's a great, great. You know, you're always asking for solutions, Doug. So here's one with a built-in solution. It's up and running. It could even use a little tune-up. It could even be a little better than it is. And and that is the the idea of going to the grocery store or the shopping center somewhere and bringing your jug of water, filling it up, and not buying those little plastic bottles with water in them that use virgin plastic and, and are trucked in by large diesel freight trucks. Uh, I think a pretty good way to get a water to water to a community is through pipes. It gets pumped through yep, pipes. Yeah, well, that was what I was going to say. Well, the first, first place you get it from is from the tap. If you've got a good water source, I mean... Ukiah yeah. tap water is as good on any testing basis as, you know, all those crystal geyser springs well, I mean, that have these fancy names but are really, you know, San Fernando tap water or whatever. Yeah, and especially uh, for those in, uh, using uh, municipal uh, water supplies, the, the one big, I think the big one is, is chlorine, but there are so many ways if you have city, you know, let's say city water, municipal water, of getting rid of that chlorine and not have to worry about those stupid high-energy plastic bottles that you're wasting money. I mean, you could put shoes on the grandkids for the amount of money you're spending on those little plastic bottles. And there are refillable plastic bottles. They used to be out of glass, and they are a little cumbersome. Uh, A gallon of water is, what, eight pounds? Correct me if I'm wrong here. A two-and-a-half gallon is 20 pounds. A five-gallon jug is 40 pounds. So there is a little bit of hauling involved there, mm-hmm. but if you have city water, you can write, you know, right in your home, you can develop very safe, very clean, very drinkable water that doesn't yeah. smell like chlorine right. right under your own roof. We we had a, a well where I grew up, and yeah, I cringed. The, the house I moved into when I was three years old and has been our family home up to this day is about to get sold i believe but anyhow uh we had a well and it was drained swampland where this city was built and the water tasted kind of nasty um it actually tested healthy but uh it still tasted pretty nasty and uh and we would go to uh, a a local spring uh it was commercial, commercially developed, and it cost a quarter for a gallon or something like that. Um, and we would fill up five-gallon jars and bring them home, and and we would wash our dishes with the well water and cook our food and drink with the. Yeah, good for you. I, I, I think it's a point well taken. If you are, in, if you have your own homemade water. It's a different category. It needs to be looked at scientifically. I, I don't know enough to comment about it, but... Uh, well, these days, you need to look at the city water scientifically, too, if you're in yeah, that's a, that's Flint or Jackson or what have you. <laughs> and the yep. city part of it is really the vast, vast, the big n- number, majority of people that have this, you know, quote-unquote city water is very, very, very treatable. I mean, you can get a little pitcher that you sit underneath your faucet that gets rid of the chlorine and uh, anyway it's what what I really like about it is that there's 
a problem and a built-in solution will grease, will, you know, will, in fact, it, it needs to go into the next phase, and that is perhaps uh, awareness, uh, you know, some uh, public service announcements that say, hey, here's, here's what to do if you're wasting your money on little plastic bottles full of drinking water. Is to, and multilingual, I think, would be very, very important. Uh, and maybe there could be some funding, uh, 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 for it from uh, somebody could seek some funding and make refillable uh, uh, water jugs uh, uh, almost free. Like free. They used to give away free cell phones in little tents and shopping centers. Yeah. How, about, how about refillable plastic bottles? And uh, the, the plastic we don't use is, a, is negaplastic. Negaplastic, uh, like, the yeah. nega, like the negawatt. The negaplastic, right. And the, the plastic that we use less of could be the, you know, the nano, the, the not, the, a, anyway, the, the point is, is to get away from plastic, get away from using fossil fuels. Single-use plastic. Drink water. Single-use plastic needs to be outlawed globally. Yeah, and for water, I think they use very virgin plastic, and it's, uh, the, 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 on KZYX, there's been many topics regarding recycling and plastics, and, and, here, here's one with a problem and a solution. At, at least get big jugs of water and refill that plastic bottle if you've got to yeah, have the, a little plastic yeah, bottle again and again and again. The, it's right there at our fingertips. It's up and moving. You don't have to. It, it's it's there and it's very low cost. Yeah. Uh, anyway, uh, shout out to Chris and uh, Alex. Uh, great to hear uh, both voices. So it uh, continues to be a, a great program on the world's greatest radio station. <laughs> hey, well, thanks for the compliment and thanks for the call. Alright, good night. Good night. 895-2448 if you want to call in with anything regarding renewable energy and, and that includes conservation. Uh, uh, we were talking about the negawatt and the negaplastic, Alex. Uh, the most renewable kilowatt hour of all is the one you didn't consume. So <laughs> That's right. That one fits under the category. I remember in the old days when solar panels were so expensive, the off-grid solar system designers became the world's biggest experts on electricity efficiency. Right. <laughs> well, but that light bulb cost $25, but it saved you 200 in solar panels. <laughs> I mean, right. that's an extreme going way back, but it really was that way once upon a time. Yeah, it's been a long time since I've built a system where I set it to operate in search mode. Oh, yeah, <laughs> no, don't do that anymore. No, yeah, search, search is really handy when you had small battery banks, not a whole lot of solar, and you wanted your inverter to shut off so it didn't have a air current loss. Uh, but nowadays, no, it's... I don't remember the last time I said it. Well, there are a couple of reasons for that is that somebody who has all modern appliances, most of them have microprocessors in them, and they're a little vulnerable to the pulse that the search functions put out. So they can oh, yeah. actually do damage to a lot of modern equipment. And the panel price has come down so much that it's not worth the hassle of, of the search mode tuning it and having some loads that don't turn it on they're not big enough to wake it up and that sort of thing 
you uh, you can buy another panel or two when it typically covers your search loads if you haven't bought an obscene number of phantom loads but but that said i want to tell people who are on old off-grid systems that you've been on for a long time and you're on search mode and use it and rely on it don't say we we're saying you shouldn't be on them you qualify for what alex was saying you know a small system that didn't have um, well, A, didn't have a bunch of those modern appliances and whatnot, but watch out when you buy a new, you know, fancy washing machine. The search mode may give it trouble. Yeah, it really could. Uh, most people now have electric refrigerators. Yep. yep, I do have a call, but, uh, but yeah, the electric refrigerators, uh, can have some sophisticated little microprocessors, but they don't have the same power filters that computers do, and so they're a little vulnerable to it. Hello, patient caller. You're live on the air. All right. So my question is about, uh, since you're talking about micro things, micro inverters and phases in particular. All right. And, you know, they got like five different flavors of their latest inverters, their IQ8. You know, the first one only works on 60-cell panels. And then, you know, they have the 8-plus and the 8-M and the 8-A and the 8-H. And each one of those can handle a higher wattage panel than the one before. But as you go to a higher wattage panel, the bottom end, when what it takes to initiate the panel, goes up as well. Mm-hmm. And I'm curious if you guys had done any research on where the right sweet spot to go is because... Sometimes you can be, like, in the middle of a range, like, say, their 8A is 295 to 500-watt panels. And if you're somewhere in the middle, you could be hitting the top of the 8Ms at 460, or you could be in the middle of the 8As. The, the, range, doesn't, the, the range doesn't have to do with the wattage. The range has to do with the voltage. Oh, okay. Yeah, okay. So when I say a 500-watt panel, and N phase says, okay... The 8A puts out 1.45 amps, and it can be used on watt panels from 295 to 500, for example. Mm-hmm. That's how, and, that's and how they present. How, how many cells? 72. Right. And, These and are all the bigger panels. All These the bigger are like panels the are all 72. Stuff. And that's a voltage function. That's the thing that's really critical that you stay in the window of. And uh, and I just wondered if you if you guys have run into like trying to decide which inverter to use on a given panel because you know with well look at the look at the wattage rating look at the wattage rating of the inverter itself. Yeah, well, they and that's different than the wattage rating range they give you for the panels. Yeah, an inverter, for example, the 8A is 1.45 amps, and the 8M is 1.35 amps. The 8 plus yeah, yeah, is 1.21 That's amps. the amperage rating. You don't have the wattage rating. It's probably 1.4 You times. mean the watts where they initiate? Like one no, no, the, 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 the watts that it's rated for maximum. What it can put out. Yeah, this, that corresponds yeah. to that 1.4 amps. They're all in the 300s, 
They're all in the 300s. They start at like around 330 for the lowest, smallest one. And the max so, wattage so they can put out is 384 for the biggest, biggest one. And, and so you, you put a 500 watt panel on there, the max they can put out is 384. And that would be a waste. That would be a waste. I, I I personally, on a residential application, wouldn't go more than 1.5 or 1.2 tops um, times the inverter's wattage rating for the PV rating. Okay. In other words, you don't like to put a lot of extra PV out there. You were talking the other day about how the well, utility... I'm, I'm, I'm old school. More. I'm old school, and I have a knee-jerk reaction to wasting any solar power. But I've often <laughs> been called on that, and rightfully so. There are other costs involved. And the cost yeah. of that inverter, the difference between the cost of the two inverters, may exceed the cost of the extra solar I bought. Yeah, yeah, because inverters, as you go from one to the other, it's usually about $20 between the different inverters, and that's going to be over however many inverters you put in. Right. Well, you can think of it as a one-to-one with the panel cost. Yeah. Um, But... So yeah. In other words, you like to match them fairly closely. I, I'm actually, it, I don't. I, I would like to see the panel rating be at least 15% above... The inverter okay. rating, maybe 20%, but I don't like to go much higher than that because that means you're going to be doing what they call clipping with some regularity. Yeah. Um, they like to say the clipping isn't that much because you pick up... It isn't you know, Most of the times your panels aren't operating at Absolutely, they're spot really on. Unusual. They're spot on. About half of the energy comes in over the course of a day for a fixed mount well below the peak output of the panel. And they're right. Yeah. So it's only during, you know, really likely to be clipping in the middle three hours of a clear day. Right, right. And, right. and then, by only, then by only, you know, 10% or something. And so when you crunch out all those numbers, you know, their actuarials are really pretty, pretty reasonable. I have another leaning, however, and that's that... If you're always loading the thing as maximally as possible, there's more wear and tear on the thing, and more likely that it's gonna fail. And so I, I, I have a I have a tendency to design things where I'm not maxing out any given piece of equipment because the stress, you know, is likely to make it fail. Um, so like on the eight A, where they say it's good for up to five hundred watts, if you're putting 500 watt panels if it, you're putting 490 watt panels on it it I, that would i'm guessing it's more likely to fail than if you put you know 450 watt panels on it yeah yeah but i don't know how microwaters and microwaters really work so i don't know how that works but you know they you know, point well taken. They, they work pretty much the same way as string inverters do just with a smaller panel they do have twenty-five year warranties on them, which is pretty nice. Yep, yep, that's pretty amazing. I'm uh, kind of astounded at that. I am <laughs> worried that's not just a a marketing gamble. Well, yeah, I mean, uh, gamble, but I mean, even like Q cells on their on their plus modules, you know, their four hundred watt plus modules, they give you a twenty-five year warranty also. 
Oh, solar panels. On, that... on, on manufacturing. They have two warranties, right? One oh, on manufacturing, manufacturing and, and on performance. Well, there's been a yeah, and then the other is the non-performance, and that's already 25 years. Yeah, the performance, so other, the performance rating's been 25 years on solar panels for for at least 20 years. Right, but they've uh, now started doing it on not just the performance, but on on the manufacturing. The, the inverter quitting working on the manufacturing. Oh, the, wait a minute. The, are we talking a panel or a, or a inverter? Because panel. Yeah, so we're not what talking about an we're not talking about an inverter. The inverter has a twenty-five year warranty. Right, that's Forever. astounding to me. Any any solid state electronics with you know micro transistors yeah. in it to have a twenty-five year warranty is pretty astounding to me, and I'm pretty a, crazy. I'm a little nervous that it should be a fifteen year warranty, and they're making a marketing gamble. <laughs> it, it actually pretty good luck so far. It, uh, well, their first, their first model and their second model had some troubles. Yeah, yeah. But they've been pretty dialed in since then. Alex, you you've worked a lot with Enphase. What's been your experience? Well, when I started working with them years ago, and they were new, uh, I was working for another company at the time. We had a lot of uh, replacements within the first year or so. That was the so one, the one nineties. Yeah, the early ones. Um, they'd often have two uh, two inverters connected to one, um, or they'd have two panels rather than connected to one inverter. And, uh, so they'd have ones fail, but then they upgraded the. Uh, the way they were designing new stuff and you couldn't retrofit the other stuff very well. So it was a real pain in the neck. So I kind of steered clear of Enphase for, for many years. And I got back into them about three years ago and, uh, haven't seen the failures. Uh, Sweet. So I, they, I, they've <laughs> dialed something in is my impression too. Of the over a thousand I put in over the last, you know, three years or so, I, I think we've only had two, uh, inverter failures in the field. Um, and they were easy to replace because they were ground mounts. Um, so yeah, um, so yeah. I only want to do ground mount. I hate putting stuff on my roof. Mm-hmm. Well, if you got the room on the ground, I encourage everybody to do ground mounts. Yeah, I'm yeah. getting ready to put in a somewhere between 17 and 20 system, and so, you know that's like if, if I use their hottest inverters, you know that's like 35 of their uh, IQ 8Hs, or 38 or 40 if I use the. Uh, the M's or the A's. And so, you know, but I'm just doing straight up grid tied with no batteries, no backup, nothing, because I'm trying to get it in before April 13th. Right, right. Good call. I was going to have You don't actually have to have it in before April yeah. 15th. You have, you have to have the, uh, you know, the deal set up with the utility. Yeah, the inner tie connection yeah. approved. Right, right. And then and, I got a year, and then you can extend it twice. You, 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 but you can't change the equipment. You cannot go bigger, and no. you can't go more than 20% below. Uh, at least one wholesaler was sending out an email just yesterday morning saying, you can't change the equipment. So I'm not sure where that's coming from. I'm going to talk to a couple of... Uh, Outfits, but my impression initially was you can't make your inverter wattage rating be bigger. Yeah, more than ten, more than ten, more than ten percent bigger. Yeah, no, PG&E. I had a PG&E engineer tell me, nope, 
we're all about the inverter size. Doesn't matter about the panels. Yeah. We're all about yeah. They the care inverter. about that wattage, the wattage output of the. I mean, the amperage output of the inverters. That's right. why each one of the IQs. That, that's the only thing watt. that's coming onto their line. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because that's the max it can put out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so you know, I'm looking at maybe 40 panels, and I'm looking at using those 72 cell, you know. Um, Q cell, you know, um, you know, up in the close to 500 watts, 490 watts. Yeah. Well, how does bifacial glass actually affect it on a ground mount around it's here? Better, you know, I, I, it's better on a that? ground mount than on a flush mount on a roof, but it's not going to boost you like the marketing suggests. You know, I'd use, right. I'd use the first column of their rating specs. Yeah. yeah. Um, now, if you're on a pole <laughs> mount, if you're on a pole mount in a place with... Partly cloudy weather with snow on the ground. It's a huge boost. Yeah, yeah. But around here, we don't snow that no, often, even no. though I did yesterday. No. But, uh, but, but with the ground mat, and I'm looking at maybe putting it in at 20 degrees because I don't want to go too winter biased because I have some shading on that, you know, south mm-hmm. side. That, that's so I want to be more summer biased. biased. Well, in the summer electricity, the summer electricity is more expensive, so it makes sense yeah. to bias it towards summer anyhow. Um, What's your opinion on south versus south southwest? Uh, south southwest is probably better on PG&E rate structures and SCP correspondingly. So move off 180 degrees. Uh, I I would pick the middle of your. You know, some something, some sweet spot between south and southwest that's biased toward the middle of your solar window. Right, right. Well, I'm in Willet, so my solar window is, you know, what? What are we at? We're at thirty nine point. Oh no, I'm thinking in terms of your shading, to... your shading obstacles. So, oh window. yeah, yeah, my shading's more earlier. Yeah, so that, 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 oh, man, you might even want to, yeah, go southwest, please. Don't go south. Okay. All right, well, that's great info. I really appreciate that. And how about, what do you guys like for, you know, ground mount? We're talking like Iron Ridge ground mount, you know, where you're seven feet on the back and you're a foot and a half off the ground in the front. And as far as how many degrees you put at, I bet, you know, they give you 20 or 25 is what you got to pick on their, you know, mm-hmm. system design tool. But uh, I'm, because I'm looking more at summer, I was more inclined to go with the 20 as opposed to the 25. I wondered if you, because I'm not trying to do something where I need to even my production out. Right. Because right. if I can get in, into Mac, the maximize system, your I can make it all summer and burn it all winter. Uh, uh, so you're 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 asking about brands or about no angle a- angle how many degrees? Uh, the the twenty is is great given your logic so far. For a lot of my okay. clients, I'd be saying you know twenty five, um, but it it depends on the brand of the mounting structure whether you can get a you know follow the instructions mount that allows for twenty five. <laughs> Alex? Yeah. If you are if you're gonna be setting up your configuration of your array, you can you can set it up with different dimensions of different you know number of panels vertically versus mm-hmm. horizontal. So if you want to get a uh, a higher tilt angle, you, know, you might only have three panels right. in one 
vertical row. But a lot of the designs right. that come up with, you'll set up with four or five panels in a vertical row, in which case you can't go nearly as high uh, before you yeah. before you get up too high, before you get Wind loading. Yeah. I always so like you to go more landscape mode. They, they yeah. want you to put your panels on, on landscape mode. No, they prefer them in portrait. Or, no, you're right, landscape, sorry. Yeah, they want them in landscape, and they'll let you go up to five high and still meet all the wind load requirements if you use Mendocino County's uh, 95 miles an hour. Right. And snow load, I think, if, 30, 30 uh, pounds you, per square foot. If, if you put into their design engine, you know, going three panels high, they'll let you go steeper. Yes. Yeah. But you have to have a wider array, and some people can't do that. You know what? Yeah, well, I, I drop really... off both sides of the mountain. Alex? Never mind. Never mind? I was going to say, you can go up as high as you want. You can go up really high, really steep. It doesn't matter. The only thing that comes in is that then you have to have structural engineering if you exceed seven feet in Mendocino County. Yeah, so stay below seven feet is the first tip. You can there go up 30 feet. I think that comes with engineering. Here. Yeah, All right, so that dry, sounds good. Hold on. It comes with dry stamp engineering, which means you don't have an engineer's copy on it, which means that if you if you go over seven feet, you're going to need to have a wet stamp copy on it. If you stay under seven that feet, then you, you can just build it how you want. So that's seven feet to the top of the panel, not the top of the racking, right? Right. Oh, Alex, Alex has a funny story about that. Oh, yeah. Did a... <laughs> Did a project once where, uh, you know, it was kind of an irregular hillside, and we had one corner that wound up being about eight feet up. And uh, the inspector, you know, was like, oh, this won't, won't do it up too high. So we brought in some gravel and uh, piled it up yeah. in the corner. <laughs> brought the same inspector back and pulled out the measuring tape. It was six foot, uh, 11 and a half, or something like that. He's like, okay. So, Oh, that's really funny, because what I told him I was going to do, I was going to put 2% forward slope going south, and that actually drops down the back of your array. You know, just going to take one of my excavators or something and scrape the dirt away on the, the south side so that it actually, is, the ground is more tilted. Ah, yeah, that'll work. That'll work, too. That'll work, too. And you got an excavator. And I asked the county today, I talked was talking to the county today, and I was going rules about compaction you know what do we have to do if you're leveling out of sight and you're going to put your shoulder arrays there and he goes well as long as it looks pretty good it'll be all right yeah well it depends on the inspector but in picky building districts that wouldn't be the answer in rural building districts that's commonly the answer so it'd be like you know either engineered compacted soil or undisturbed earth yeah Oh, and some places, regardless, are going to require a soil engineer to look at it. Yeah, well, hopefully I'm that's not, not I've clear. never heard of that in Mendocino County, but... Well, well, my ground is not sandy at all. It's like basically rock and clay mixed together. Yeah, so yeah. When I get a four-foot-deep hole in that, so you, good luck you will be concrete out of that. You will be exceeding... The engineering yeah. standards. You will easily pass the engineering standards. The guy will look at it, yeah. throw his wet stamp on it, and charge you five hundred dollars. If you look at uh, if you look at uh, Iron Ridge's uh, guidelines that they give you back on a system, and they tell you how much concrete you need to have in each of the each of the footing holes, it's huge. Yeah, it's, it's just gigantic. And actually, if you have 
if you have a big array, it can actually be worthwhile to pay uh, a mechanical engineer to redraw it with smaller footings that are appropriate for their specific design. Iron Ridge is kind of yeah. doing a, you know... Covered. A, Co- a CYA. Yeah, definitely. Well, I typed in a lot of different numbers on theirs, you know, just to see yeah. what it would do in their design assistance. And what I figured out was that if you can drill a reasonably deep hole, you can use a 12-inch diameter hole, and, you know, you go for, depending on your, your angle, of course, but I'm doing 20 degrees, and it's only going to use like two yards for the whole array to hold 35 panels of the big panels. And, yeah. and that's because, you know, you go four and a half feet deep, but it's only one foot in diameter. If you go to their two-foot holes, you start using like six or seven yards. Oh, easy, yeah. I, the, uh, I are squared. Yeah. yeah. No, cakes are... Pies are round, they're not square. <laughs> I haven't heard that before. <laughs> heard that from one of my uncles that was an engineer. Yep. Pie are round. Cake are square. <laughs> That's right. Geek All jokes. All right, gentlemen, thank you very much. I, sure I appreciate the help. Sure enough, take care. So, the Renewable Energy Hour, you've got an issue that's related to renewable energy, 895-2448. So, what are your, some of your favorite brands of ground mounts, Alex? Oh, we got a call We got a call already. Somebody had been patiently waiting. Hello, caller. You're live on the air. Oh, hi. Well, I had to move to a better location. I got an idea. Um, like you are talking about solar panels. What about putting like a small electric generator... It runs off the solar voltage before you get to the inverter. Do they have anything like that? I'm not sure what you mean. That sounds like a solar panel. <laughs> yeah. Oops, I think I heard a, a hang-up click. Um, yeah. Caller, we're not hearing you if you're talking. Anyhow... uh I'm I'm a little baffled by the question. The inverter is what converts DC electricity to AC electricity, and the solar panel makes DC electricity, and the inverter converts it to AC electricity, which is what most of your appliances are going to want to use. And he said generator, and maybe that's where the ambiguity is. The generator could mean generically anything that produces power, which could be a solar panel, um, or it could be more specific usage, meaning, you know, those traditionally those fossil fuel-driven engines that make AC power that, you know, the contractor uses or houses use to back up the home during a power outage, but uh... If you've got a generator like that, you don't need an inverter. It's already AC power. Um, so I'm not sure what the question was about. Maybe this is him again. Hello, caller. You're live on the air. Yeah, I got disconnected. I, uh, did you get my idea? No, I was uh, a little baffled. Yeah. And we were, yeah, it was like, what if you went from the solar panel to a small electric motor uh, gener- that generated electricity to a little bit higher of a level, and then it got to the inverter? A, a small electric what? A generator. A, what's you know, a motor, a motor that would generate the electricity. 
And 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 that electric motor would generate electricity through a generator. Yeah, you know, like a turbine, but not a big one, a, a little one, some kind of generator, like alternator for a car. Right, right. The alternator part. The, the, that's truly the generator, because when we talk about well, a generator, it's really, it's really a combustion engine with a generator attached to it. In your case, you're talking about a motor with a. Not an engine, uh, a generator attached to it. Yeah, I wonder um, if they could do something like that. Well, what's what's the point of that? Oh, to, to bring the um, the the electricity up to a higher level. What do you mean so by a higher to, level electricity? Do you mean the wattage? No, do you not, mean the voltage? Do you mean the amperage? Yeah, the, yeah, the DC before it gets to the inverter. Well, from the solar panels, then you would use less solar panels. But I don't know. I'm just thinking. Ah, <laughs> uh, no. It sounds like you're searching for uh, for a free lunch. Um, when you Could look be. when you look at when you look at the energy involved, every time you go through another machine, you lose some of your energy. But not if it's generating electricity somehow. Oh yeah, no, lots of things generate electricity and and waste huge amounts of power. You know, a coal a coal power plant that throws away about eighty five percent of the energy that goes into it. How about you only about fifteen percent of the energy coming out of the that you sent into a coal fired power plant comes out as electricity. Uh, maybe they could use like uh, positive repels, positive, you know, and make some kind of new motor out of uh, just uh, like if you put the re- repel, uh, like charges repel, you know. Uh, like charges do repel, but I'm not sure how that's going to get you. Like that. I'm not sure. Well, there's all kinds of magic around. Sounds like you should be taking a physics class. I, well, I've studied electronics, but the, the the five books electronics math is one formula. It took up a whole page. That kind of flunked me out of that. But I did get twelve credits of electronics <laughs> in a degree a degree program. Well, well the, there's the, an idea the, to think the, about. Maybe physics is the bigger picture, and that's what I'm encouraging you to look at, not just electronics. Okay. So that you just so that you understand more than volts and amps, but you also understand watts and and the implications of the watts and the watt hours. I equals uh, R. What was it? <laughs> I forget. I times E equals. Uh... Uh, there's, there's, there's. I don't know. Uh, I never, I never used all those complicated formulas. Uh, there's V equals I R and. Yeah, I think that's and, the one I'm thinking of. And P equals. Uh, I, I equals I, P, P equals I V, uh, and you could create all twelve of those equations from those two equations. So I never bothered to memorize all of those. Well, maybe if you got a computer, I'm not online, but maybe if, uh, somebody could look up online to see if they have small, small electric motor generators that, like, they could just take the solar the solar panel volts and, and magnify them a little bit to well, before they got to the inverter. So I don't know. Well, That's except, my idea. except my point is that in doing that, you're throwing away power. 
If you got an inverter that's like ninety eight percent efficient, you got motors that are much less efficient than that. So uh, the electronic inverters, without any moving parts, are doing way better than anything we had mechanical. Right. The, the solar panel, you can make it be a higher voltage or a higher wattage just by the way you build oh, it. Oh yeah, all the right the panel itself. Um, so but but by but but by taking the output of the panel and putting it into a motor. You're going to throw away 5 to 30% of the energy in the inefficiency of the motor because it's not 100% efficient. And the, yeah, motor, to- and the motor is turning a generator that's 5 to 30% of its energy got wasted. And so you're going to end up with this, you know, 70% efficient overall device. So you've lost 30% of the power from your solar panel before you've gotten to the inverter. Just make them match up and don't lose that power, which was what the previous color was all about. Well, what I was thinking was maybe all the solar power from the solar panel could go into the mo- electric motor, and the electric motor would actually create more power. Oh, no power. machine creates more power than is put into it. All machines put out less power oh, than what is okay. put into it. All right. That's well, the, I, that's I, the I, reality I, of the universe. <laughs> you're, you're real knowledgeable, Hutz, so thanks a lot for your, sure your advice. Sure enough. All right. Hey, take care. Thanks for the call. Bye-bye. It's actually a really common misconception, Alex. Oh, yeah. How often often do you encounter perpetual motion machines? (laughs) I've come across a few that people are working on. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, caller, call in again. 895-2448. Oh, there's somebody. Here's an ignition. Hey, caller, you're live on the air. Howdy, do. Um, I was going to uh, talk. Uh, I, I don't know what to. I turned off the radio, so I didn't know what the topic was. Oh, we're, we're your topic tonight. It's uh, listener call in, any topic allowed, as long as it's hopefully at least tangentially related to renewable energy. Oh, no. Okay, well, never mind. Oh, you had a completely different topic? Yeah, I do. <laughs> I thought it was just any old topic. Oh, sorry. That we're, we we we. This I is not the Monday energy. night show. Yeah. This is the uh, Wednesday night show. The renewable energy hour. Oh shucks. Well, um. You got a real quick toss it out there. Yeah, I I wanted to say that I'm 70 years old. I grew up Ukiah. Right near the Russian River. Be about, quick. Well, no no background. Give us, what's your okay, point? No. So, I was, at that time, I was able to drink out of the river. Oh, wow. Yes. It was that good at the time. Now it's not. No, I wouldn't <laughs> But I was just saying, I have an experience of, that river was so clean and wonderful. And I'm... I wouldn't wow. dream of it now. No, yes. <laughs> oh, not at all. I just wanted to put that out because it used to be where you could drink out of that river. Was that before the dam went in? No, the, what do you mean, the Mendocino? Yeah. Yeah. No, it was later. It was later. We lived right by the river, and it was... And you were downstream from the dam? Yeah. Mm-hmm. In Ukiah. That's amazing. 
That's and, amazing. Uh, me and my horse used to drink out of it, and I never got sick, and neither did the horse. <laughs> Well, I, try, I put that through. Once when I was desperately thirsty, I drank out of a stream I probably shouldn't have in Mendocino County, and I didn't get sick either. But Yeah, that wasn't a stream. It was a river, but yeah. it did. I thought, uh, because when I was a kid, it was the Russian River, because I thought it was it was named that because it was Russian. Yeah. Oh, I, it was, you know, there was a current. It was rushing. Yeah, yes. rushing, but I called it Russian. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. I just thought those were the days, and I'm sorry that those ended. So, well, may we get them back again one century. I sure hope so. Hey, I'm going to die pretty soon, so it yeah. doesn't matter. Well, it doesn't matter to you for you, but it may matter to you for the future people. Yeah, I would like the the youngsters to be able to drink out of the river. <laughs> I would too. Hey, thanks okay. for the call. Okie doke. Bye. Bye bye. Well, she's only 70. We have a Willis resident who's, what, 45 years older than that? <laughs> uh, she's not that much older than me. <laughs> Hello, Collie. You're live on the air. Hi. Uh, first time listener, caller. Hey, uh, welcome. I guess you guys usually do the micro kind of approach, and I always look at the macro. Yeah, uh, we, we well, the tradition of the show was definitely micro because, it, you know, it started off talking to people off the grid doing solar and stuff like that. And, yeah. and so we, we were thinking in, in small terms, although we've had guests over the past 10 years that have been pretty, pretty macro. What's your macro? My macro is the at changing the attitude and perception of, of the humans, especially the Americans, that renewable energies are it's quicker, cheaper, and easier to buy renewables than it is to steal oil. Or to build nuclear power plants or develop nuclear fusion, and we've got to act now. Yeah, and... You know, that's why this this Trump attitude is really bad, right? He, you know, which people should call him, he keeps calling them windmills, which is a huge difference in, a, in an old Dutch uh, windmill in Europe and, and a wind turbine. Yeah, the implication is you're grinding grain. Yeah, in, in, in an old-fashioned, you know, outdated way. And, um, but... My point about renewable energies being cheaper is because we still have, Americans still have this attitude, or at least the Republicans are promoting it, that, you know, like, like there was sort of in, I don't know, 60s, 70s, 80s, like, uh, well, we got to do renewable, and it's, well, it's hard, and it's going to cost a lot more, and it's going to hurt the economy, but, well, we should try anyway and be, you know, and my point, like I said, no, it's, Quicker, cheaper, and easier to do renewables than than the, it's than it's not as effect. easy as you make it on the upfront. You know, kilowatt hour per kilowatt hour uh, production measurements. The solar is cheaper. It's it's now cheaper than gas. It became cheaper. I mean, it's cheaper than coal. Coal's gone up, um, but. That's that's just when you're talking about, you know, how much does it cost to make a kilowatt hour with a solar panel and inverter and how much does it cost with a coal-fired power plant and uh 
the problem with solar is that it doesn't make it when you ask for it. And the expense of spreading that out is significant. So it's not as simple as you're saying. Well, uh, I'm just saying there, there's no question that the solar is cheaper. Uh, and I've yeah. been arguing actually on the last couple of shows that we need to put in more solar than we need to help with this smooth out issue. Uh, right now, Cal California, people have put in solar to the point where all the demand is met during most of the daylight hours, you know, you know, barring the last two and the first two of the day. Yeah, we're up against our time. Oh, yep. We're, we are up against our time. Anyhow, uh, it, it we have to figure out how to spread the excess solar from when there's more sun than we need to the times when there's not enough sun. That's right. the expensive part. All right. Thank you. Sure enough. Take care. Alex, thank you so much for joining me tonight. Um, sure. Good night, everybody. We'll be back in two weeks. This has been a production of Mendocino County Public Broadcasting. KZYX, Philo 90.7 FM, KZYZ, Willits and Ukiah 91.5 FM, and Fort Bragg at 88.1 FM. You can find more content like this on our website at kzyx.org, and consider donating by clicking the red donate button in the upper right corner. Thank you for listening.